Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin County Medical Center, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Danny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin County Medical Center, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. As we mentioned earlier, it is an open line show today. And if you know what that means, that means you drive the show. Your questions for Dr. David Hilden, your host, uh, questions via phone, that's 651-989-9226, or send a text at 81807. As you can see, Dr. Hilden, uh, good morning, by the way. Good morning, Denny. We had a bunch of texts sent in. Uh, we did. We've morning. had some for like 20 minutes already. Yeah, so we can pick up on those. And uh, you, I always leave it up to you to talk about the tweets. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to tweet me your question, you can do it. My Twitter handle is drdavidhilden. And if you put the hashtag uh, Healthy Matters in there, that's even better. But uh, you don't have to. So Dr. David Hilden, and I'll answer your tweets online as well. A lot of people are following the Twitter account. I, I have to admit, I, I wasn't really savvy on social media. Yeah. Well, wasn't isn't the right term. Still aren't, maybe, is the more term. But I, uh, I have this Twitter account, and I now I have an Instagram account. And I have uh, – um, then, of course, I have the blog. But the there's – Hundreds of people now follow along on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure what I think of it still. It, it's for if we're getting quick little tidbits out, it, it's kind of good. Um, but for having ongoing conversations, not quite so good. But anyways, I was at the the downtown farmers market this past Thursday, and uh, there we tweeted out pictures from the and people actually tweeted their responses, you know, from this farmers market. So I, it's kind of a it's goofy, but uh, but 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 uh, it's a great way to ask me a question. It's a great way to get through to this show and ask a question. So, Dr. David Hilden, give that a whirl. Also, don't forget about the blog. That one I've got a couple of new posts on. Um, two posts ago, the blog is myhealthymatters.org, By the way, two posts ago I put a short little essay about. Uh, um, it's entitled "Finding the Ordinary Among the Extraordinary," and if you don't know what that means, that's just a title I came up with. <laughs> I made it up, but give it a try at myhealthymatters.org. It's my thoughts about how how sometimes we need to to um, amidst extraordinary life circumstances, we need to find the ordinary among that. And if you're intrigued by that, go to myhealthymatters.org. And then most recently, I put a, a little insider's look at the emergency department. Last week, Dr. Nick Simpson was on with me. He's from our emergency department. So I took a stroll through the emergency department a couple of days ago with my iPhone camera. I just asked some of the guys, hey, can I take your picture? <laughs> no patients are in the pictures. There's nothing private, oh, okay. but I have All a picture right. of inside some of the um, – there's one of me up on the helipad, and I'm not going up there again. I'm telling you that. 
I'm afraid of heights. Little thing of heights. Oh my goodness, huh? goodness! So that's on the roof of the building. There's one inside the emergency department, and so you might want to give that a look as well. It's myhealthymatters.org. And today we're going to do an open line show. And here's the phone number. There's a line open if you'd like to fill it. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Again, folks are calling in and uh, send a text if that's easier. Eight one eight zero seven. Should we start with a couple of yeah, the texts because there were that. a lot of them. Sure. Right off the bat um, from the beginning. And um, let's see if I get to some of those. One of them says, um, thanks for the show. How do you discern between dementia and depression, especially in our geriatric population? Wishing you both a happy and – oh, and it, uh, the, that's the end of the text. Oh, uh, man, blessed Sunday. Okay, thank you um, for that text message. Dementia and depression can look awfully similar. Um, they are two very distinct things, but they can have overlapping features. Dementia is a progressive loss of your cognitive abilities, your memory, your ability to think clearly, uh, your ability to function in day-to-day life. Your your, um, mood can be affected if you have dementia, but they're separate. Depression is a mood disorder, so um, where, where your mood is generally down, blue, sad. And if it's true depression, your mood is down or blue or sad for more days than not over a longer period of time. So those are kind of the basics. Um, Everybody has a down or sad mood day every now and then. Um, But if it's more days than not, that's depression. Now, in dementia, it can be hard to tell because sometimes the older adult is losing some memory, and that can lead to some mood problems as they start to realize it. Or they can, but also they can just um, have a sort of a flatter-looking affect. Sometimes people aren't as engaged with the community, engaged with their family when you have dementia, and so it can appear that they have depression. It's extremely common for older adults, older adults, to have depression. Dementia is also re- is a common thing, so it's often an overlap. But they are two distinct things. Um, if you are worried about one of your loved ones with dementia or depression, make sure they do see um, a, a health care provider because they are, especially depression, is treatable. And although dementia is a little less so, it does have great support services available to people who have it. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones. Uh, 651-989-9226. Catherine and Blaine is uh, first up here. Catherine, good morning. Good morning, uh, Dr. Hilden. Thanks for taking my call, you guys. Sure. Um, yes, my sister passed away from uh, sepsis this last spring. And the way I understand is that it was because she had a bladder, no, a urine infection, I'm sorry, and it was misdiagnosed. Um, so my question for you, Dr. Hilden, is why is it that doctors don't do a urine test anymore like they used to. Yeah, it's interesting, Catherine. Um, uh, I'm so sorry about your sister. First of all, that was just a few months ago, it sounds like. I'm really sorry about that. And, and so um, thank you for bringing up the question. Sepsis is a severe and, and life-threatening, as you have found, um, infection that um, overwhelms our body's ability to manage it. Um, your blood pressure often drops. Your heart, your vital signs become unstable. You, you, the patient can't simply can't get enough fluids in their body, and so it's a high, high, high risk situation. Um, and it comes from an infection in the body. 
The thing is about your question about urine is that the urinary source is relatively uncommon as a cause for sepsis. It used to be thought that it was maybe a little bit more than it is nowadays. It is possible, and it's what happened in your sister, it sounds like. But um, we would not um, routinely catch that in a urinalysis. So if you're not in the... um, uh, in the hospital, if you're not already ill, you're not likely to get urine samples done in the clinic anymore because just the overwhelming vast majority of them won't tell us anything. Um, if they are, uh, the urinalysis test is good for some things. It's not particularly sensitive or specific, I should say, for infection. So we can see white blood cells in your urine. Well, that doesn't mean you have an infection. In fact, the majority of the time it does not. Um, It can show some other things, but it's just simply a crude test that is not very helpful. So what we would do if we got urinalysis tests on everybody, say, in the clinic, is that the vast majority would have something wrong with them, not an infection, but something that we could see in that urine. And what we would probably do then is over-treat urinary infections to an enormous degree. And the downsides of that would be very serious for the community and for the world and for the patients. Um, the, the downsides of taking antibiotics unnecessarily are um, bad. Um, there More and more and more we're seeing um, that we're running out of antibiotics that are effective. Um, and, and also they can lead to secondary infections. A big one that's on the rise is one called Clostridium or C. diff that is on the rise to the tune of tens of thousands of cases, I believe, and that's a serious intestinal infection. That's just one example. So we can't, we can't over-treat. All that being said, it is possible that your sister, uh, um, Catherine, um, it was missed. That's possible. Um, so that, for that, I'm really sorry. But I don't, I don't know. But the solution probably wouldn't be um, more urinalysis in the clinic. It would be more symptom-based um, treatment of urinary infections. Right? So we look for very specific symptoms like fever, like a... Um, tachycardia, fast heart rate. We look for very specific things, and if you have those, then we treat your, Then we get a urine test, and then we treat it if it has an infection, but we don't just routinely get them. Okay. That was a very long-worded answer. I'm sorry about that. And again, I am so sorry about your sister. Hope you're doing okay, and um, I hope that was at least a little bit helpful, and thanks for your call, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. 651-989-9226 is our number. Uh, let's go to Gene, who's calling from Minneapolis. Gene, you're on with Dr. Hilden. Oh, thank you. I love your show. Thank you. I uh, had an MRI, and they diagnosed it as cervical spondylosis. Is that, I don't know if I'm saying that. Spondylosis or spondylolisthesis. There's some things where your bones aren't all lined up, basically. Oh, well, that's what I had, and I was wondering if you could explain it and what what the prognosis is for me down the road. Are you having symptoms, Gene? Are you having, what's happening in your neck? Well, uh, the first thing that happened was I had trouble with my gait and walking, and then the pain from the neck down yeah. the, the spine. Sure, Gene, sure. Well, what, what, what happens particularly as we get a little bit older is that the, your spine, which has to do a heck of a lot of work throughout your life, it has to keep you upright, it has to keep you flexible, you have to be able to bend, and, but nonetheless it has to support your whole body on it. 
the bones can move around a little bit. It's often due to arthritis where they, the wear and tear of your bones. Sometimes your discs in between each of your vertebrae are, are getting squished a little bit. And the bones can start to move relative to one another. One of your vertebrae can slide over another one, which is called spondylolithesis, I think. I think. Don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> and then you can have other kind of spondylopathies, which is where the spinal um, – they're just not sitting right on top of each other. They're growing funny. There's, there's wear and tear. And you can have pain. You can have gait problems. You can have pinched nerves. And so um, you asked about the prognosis. Well, there's not a simple cure for this. So typically we ask people to be as active as you can, number one, do stretching and walking. Number two, take over-the-counter pain relievers like ibuprofen or or, um, acetaminophen, which goes by the name Tylenol. And then there are some more invasive things that they can do injections um, in your spine to try to help you out at an interventional pain clinic. We have that at Hennepin. And then lastly, there are surgical possibilities if things get really rough. I would also suggest seeing a physical therapist in there. That's a really good option. So exercise, stretching, physical therapy, over-the-counter medications, and then if you need to, go to a spinal specialist. We have a great one at um, Hennepin, so right in downtown Minneapolis, but I'm sure whatever system you um, go to get your health care would have an interventional pain specialist as well. Best wishes to you, Gene. Very good. We have to take a quick break, Doctor, but we'll be back with more. Just a reminder, uh, kind of a look ahead at next week's show. I know you, you're on. I'm, I won't be here, but you're my. You're on assignment. I'm on assignment, show. as they say. I have my colleague, Dr. Daniel D. Bardino. He's a great Italian guy. So if you say D. Bardino, it's probably the right way to go. He is a surgeon, he is a cardiac surgeon. So he's going to talk about heart disease, specifically heart attacks and, and bypass surgery and things like that. Um, this is your chance to talk to a guy. He's a real good talker. He's a great guy. He um, did his training out at the Brigham in Boston, and now he's at HCMC. He's a great doctor. Going to talk a heart surgeon, talk about heart surgeries and heart attacks. Next week, that is to today. However, it's an open line show. Your general health questions for Dr. Hilden, 651-989-9226, or send a text, 81807. And welcome back to Healthy Matters this morning. It's an open line show. Your uh, general health questions for Dr. David Hilden, 651-989-9226. And the text number is 81807. You want to pick up? We'll pick up a couple of texts so I don't get too far behind on these. Here's one that says a question about gout. I'm a mid-50s male. I have been on allopurinol for five years and doing very well without gout flares. I stay away from seafood and I stay away from beer. Will there ever be a day when I can have a beer again other than a taste here and there? Now, that's a great question. It really is because, you know, if you're giving up some of the most things that make life fun, you know, what's the point? Well, beer and seafood aren't the greatest for gout, but they're not usually the end of the world. Allopurinol is a preventative medicine for gout. You take it every day to prevent a gout flare. And this person has had five years without a gout flare. You didn't hear this from me, but you did. I think it's okay to have an occasional beer. I mean, if you're a big drinker, if you're having um, two, three a, a day, every day, you're going to have more gout flares. It's more likely to have gout flares. You're going to be fighting against your medication. But I think that an occasional, um, if you haven't had a flare for five years, an occasional beer, occasional seafood probably is okay. It doesn't mean it won't trigger a gout flare, but chances are you'd be okay. I would talk to your doctor about it, but that's my advice for that person. And then here's another one that says, um, I won't be able to do this in detail, but I'd at least like to mention that they sent the text in. It said, thanks for the great show. Please explain. Is hospice services, an actual person, available 24 hours, seven days a week for individuals? Meaning, 
will you help care for the dying person in the home? The answer is yes. There's various levels of hospice care that are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week for people who are nearing the end of their natural life. Um, It's often not in the home. It's often not a person in the home, but you have a resource to call. So most people on hospice care die in their own homes with family members and other loved ones helping them out. But you have round-the-clock services available by phone. You have regular visits by a nurse. You are trained on what to do. You have support services. You have respite care, so if your loved one needs to go somewhere else for a little while. There are hospice services that are round-the-clock 24 hours a day. They're more residential in in nature, but they're much less common. Um, One more text. Um, Let's see. Says thanks for the show. Bruising. Why would a healthy fifty-six-year-old woman have unexplained bruising? Probably because your skin is getting thinner. It could be a medication effect if you're on something like prednisone. Um, but if you're having lots and lots of bruising, you could have an underlying uh, blood clotting disorder. So I would see a hematologist for that. All right, let's go back to the phone. Steve is calling from Wyzetta. Go ahead, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, hi, doctor. Every now and then, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, but I'll. You ever get a leg cramp where you can't move your leg? Oh yeah. I get this in my neck, and it's usually when I'm looking up, and it goes from, like, the, my jaw to the back of my head, and it's actually like somebody's putting an ice pick in my head. Well, that it sounds awful. That Is it when you turn your head or when you're looking straight ahead? Well, you're looking straight ahead, but then as soon as you get the cramp, it makes you look up. Yeah. It so sounds you're walking like, around looking up trying to get rid of this cramp. Yeah, you might have a torticollis situation, which is a kind of a twisting of the neck and it's really painful. That's one thing. It's a, it can be literally a muscle spasm in the neck, just like in the, like a Charlie horse. Um, that's one possibility. And the, all I can think of for that is some stretching exercises and, and, and just do your best to work it out. But it also could be some kind of neurologic pinching in your neck. That's different. And, you know, stretching isn't going to help that so much, um, a little bit. But I would see, um, uh, do you get it often? Are you still there, Steve? Do you get it often? Yeah, yeah. No, not often. Maybe once or twice a month, maybe. Yeah, yeah I wonder. It, it sounds like a stinger, like something like, uh, whenever you get something like shooting like that, like an ice pick, you know, that, that sounds pretty severe and sudden and, and, and it sounds more like a nerve thing. Anything that's like, that just, it just has a feel of a nerve pinching to me. I could be wrong. Goes from the back of your head almost to your eye socket. Yeah, that's a that whole thing's a little bit weird. That's a little bit of a weird um, uh, kind of distribution. Maybe it's some. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. It's it doesn't sound muscular because you don't have muscles that run in that direction. It sounds like something in the base of your neck um, is because you do have nerves that run from the base of your neck from the back and around the sides all the way over your head. So that's what it sounds like the most to me, and it's, it's just like somehow or other it just gets pinched a little bit. Do you know what I would do, though? I, it, since it is a little bit weird, that's a, that's a little bit strange, and it's obviously not the norm, I would have someone look at that. You know, it, Probably with imaging of your neck, usually an MRI. Um, I would see a neurologist about that because that's if it's some variant on a migraine – or had you know, or a variant, well, a variant on a migraine or some kind of pinched nerve. A neurologist would be your best bet. It doesn't sound like a muscle spasm, although it could be. But that's kind of a maybe. It's just that your neck is tightening up so badly that it's just shooting nerve signals across your scalp into your eyes, sort of like that. Um, I've never had a migraine, but if that's what it feels like, I feel sorry for it. Yeah, exactly. People. It doesn't sound like your typical migraine either, Steve. You know, it doesn't. Um, well, that's usually a throbbing sensation, usually on one side of the head. It doesn't, to be honest with you, it doesn't really sound like a migraine. But there are variants, all kinds of weird variants. Far more likely it, it seems like something's getting pinched in there. But it would be good to know that. Um, 
I think it'd be good to know that. Um, I would I would at least talk to, I would go to a neurologist. I don't think your primary care doctor is going to know a heck of a lot more than what I've just said. They're going to go, hmm, sounds a little see bit a neurologist. Sounds a little bit weird. Yeah. You know, maybe you should see a neurologist and give them that story, even if it's not happening all the time. It's happening every now and then. Just You don't have to have one at the time. Just go in there and give them this explanation, see if they recommend any further uh, evaluation. It's a weird one, Steve. I hope, you, I hope you. you get to the bottom of it, though. Call me if you do. Call a future show. Let me know. See what the result yeah, is. Yeah, thanks, you know. Steve. Thank you. Uh, let's see if we can't get uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Carol's question answered before the break, which is coming up fast. What is your question, Carol? I'd like to get an explanation as to what possibility there is to get rid of GERD and what that is versus esophageal reflex or acid reflex or and what foods to avoid. General discussion about GERD. Sure, yeah. GERD is reflux disease or acid reflux, gastroesophageal reflux disease. It is a problem of too much acid production in your stomach, but more importantly, that's, that stomach acid can get up into your esophagus a little bit. There's a big, tight muscle at the bottom of your esophagus right where it enters the stomach. Every time you swallow, it opens up to let food in, and then it clamps back down again. It's supposed to be a one-way street. As anyone who has ever vomited knows, it's supposed to go down into your stomach, not the other way back up. Um, I think what I'm going to do is there's a lot more to say about GERD. I'm going to try to talk for maybe another 30 seconds on it after the break. So, Carol, I'm going to ask you to stick around. Um, uh, You don't have to stay on the phone, but listen for after the break, and I'll talk more about GERD. Sounds good. We'll do that. We'll follow up on that. Again, it's an open line show. We have about another half hour of the show to go. So if you didn't get in this half hour, try it again by phone, 651-989-9226. I see a line open. You can use it. Or uh, send us a text. We have a few of those to pick up on as well. That text number is 8180781807. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. This is an open line show today. That means uh, your phone calls, your text messages. Uh, we'll be driving the show the rest of the way. 651-989-9226. Text number is 81807. I know Dr. Hilden will get back to the text screen, but I know you wanted to follow up on Carol's call. Indeed, about, I do. Uh, GERD. Indeed, I do. So Carol called on before the break, and I just got started on GERD. And it's a long topic, and I'll try to uh, try to summarize a little bit more. Um, GERD, or gastroesophageal reflux disease, is a- excess acid in your stomach that starts to burn your the linings of your intestines from the inside out. I I read somewhere that, this was years ago, that stomach acid is roughly the same acidity as like battery acid. It's really strong and your stomach is able to handle that and it needs to to digest food. But if it starts to reflux or go backwards up into your esophagus, your esophagus is not capable of handling that acid and it starts to burn. So that's why we call it heartburn. In the long term... Acid reflux is dangerous to your esophagus. So we often give people proton pump inhibitors or H2 blockers. Those are the um, uh, medications like, I'll use the brand names, like Prilosec or Lansoprazole um, or Nexium, uh, things like that. And then Zantac or um, Tagamet are the other kind. Long term, it's thought to be relatively safe. But there's new data on that there are long-term effects of taking antacid medicines, particularly of the proton pump inhibitor variety. 
And this is also going to help answer one of the text questions. There's a text question exactly on this. Should I? How long can a person be on a PPI? So we generally tell people for your reflux disease, take the PPI, something like Prilosec or Nexium, for the shortest period of time that you can get away with that, that manages your symptoms. Maybe you just have some temporary symptoms and you can get away with it just for a few weeks. Taking it, I know people have been on it for years and years and years, and there is some evidence that the long-term problems with that are real, including the you know, calcium problems, magnesium problems, even infectious problems. And one of the latest is that this probably puts you at a higher risk for clostridium infections or C. diff infections. So what we suggest to people is take it for the shortest period of time you can. If you need it for a long term, that's probably okay, but I would suggest changing from your PPI to something like Zantac. That's an H2, a histamine blocker that is thought to be safer. So if you can get away with something like Zantac or the or ranitidine, do that. If not, otherwise, take your proton pump inhibitor like Nexium or Prilosec, and then make sure you're seeing a doctor for a periodic uh, um, follow-up for that. Okay. Uh, back to the phones we go. Kay is calling from Mound, Minnesota. Go ahead, Kay. Thank you. Good morning, Dr. Hilton. Good morning. I really like your show. Thank you. Uh, uh, now, um, I had my leg amputated like five years ago, eh? and um, from a superbug, I was fine. Everything was going good, but this infection just took over, and I had to have my leg amputated. Anyway, I had um, all the the phantom uh, things that happen, you know, after you right. have an amputation. Yeah. But anyway, I've been really well ever since and, and doing just fine. But lately now, a couple of days ago, I get these excruciating pains um, on, the, on the limb, and I get this crazy feeling again that my leg is there, and, and it's, it's shooting pains. Uh, come, they come quite often, like every couple of minutes or so and so I haven't been able to sleep properly eh? and and so I'm just wondering Dr. Hilton is is there something that I can be doing for this situation right. here at home and Kay the pain that you're talking about is phantom pain coming from where you're from your limb that was amputated okay I mean I'm asking is, is it feel like it's coming all the way down from your foot that is not any longer there Right, yeah. right, but but the, the it's severe shooting pains, mind you, right, like on the very end of the of the stump. Of the stump, yeah, uh-huh. it's, yeah, yeah. Are you taking any kind of medication for that? There are some medications for phantom pains like that. Well, I, I'm not. All I do is take Tylenol. Yeah, I would try. I would talk to um, either a pain specialist or or maybe a neurologist. Um, because what this is is your nerves are playing tricks on you. And for people who aren't in case situation, um, and um, when you have a limb removed, the nerves are extraordinarily slow to recover from that. And sometimes, as Kay is describing, it can last a, a long time or it can come back even five years later or even longer than that. And it's a, your nerves are telling you that your foot hurts even though you don't have that foot any longer. There are some pain medications, Kay, that work better for what we call neuropathic pain, which is what this is, a pain from a damaged nerve. It's not a pain from damaged tissue, you know, that, and the nerve is just sending appropriate pain signals. It's from the nerves itself is damaged. And some of them are like... Um, Oh, gabapentin is one that goes under the brand name Neurontin. Another one is called pregabalin, which goes under the brand name Lyrica. 
And there are others, amitriptyline, nortriptyline. There's there's actually quite a few things to try, most of which are relatively safe, have few side effects. Nothing has zero side effects, but are relatively safe. Um, And we use them for long-term control of neuropathic pain. So I would suggest that and try that for a little bit of time. Um, I wouldn't suggest anything more invasive or anything like that because there's nothing more they can do about those nerves. Other options are to try something topical. You can put – there are like almost like numbing medicines, almost like Novocaine your dentist give you. you. It comes in a patch form, lidocaine in a patch form. You put a patch right over it and it kind of works its way into the skin. That's one other option. So I would try one of those neuropathic pain medicines. I'd probably start with gabapentin, G-A-B-A-P-E-N-T-I-N. And maybe try a lidocaine patch and see a neurologist to help out with all that. Best wishes to you, Kate. It sounds like you've done okay over the past five years. That was an unfortunate reason you had to have your leg amputated yeah. from just a, a, a fulminant huge infection. But it sounds like you've been doing okay. And I think there are some better things to try that might make you feel better than just Tylenol. 651-989-9226 uh, or send a text. 81807, 81807. There's a text. Here's a text message I'm going to get. It says, thanks for the show. Um, please speak about shingles, how they present. And is it limited only to our geriatric population, um, like over age 65? The answer to the second half is no. You can get it when it's younger, as I will personally attest to. I got shingles around my eyeball. Ooh. Bad, worst place in your body to get it when I was running a marathon. So it, it can be anything where your immune system is a little bit uncompromised. The most common people for that is older people. That's why they get it. Anyone who has had shingles, or I'm sorry, anyone who has had chicken pox in your life is at risk for shingles. Shingles is not a new infection with anything. It is a reactivation of the chicken pox varicella zoster virus, which is living in your bo- in your nerve system. We all have it. If you had chicken pox as a child, I don't care if it was 60 years ago, it's still in you. It never goes away. It just lies dormant. Until such time as your body is not quite in as good, robust shape to fight infections and it reactivates and it's little crusty things just like chicken pox except it's only on one little portion of your body because it travels down a single nerve. I think something like one in four or one in three adults are going to get it. Um, if you are 60 years of age, there is a shingles vaccine. There's no other medical history your doctor needs to know. If you're 60 years old, you can get the shingles vaccine. And it does not prevent it entirely, but it really reduces the risk of shingles. So um, that's what I would suggest. Before we break, and I know we'll do this in moments, uh, there's another reason to be proud of HCMC. Absolutely. Hey, we've been doing great stroke care at HCMC for years and years and years. But just this past year, in the past couple of months even, HCMC just received the highest and most advanced certification available in the country for a stroke center. It's by the Joint Commission, which accredits hospital and the American Heart and American Stroke Associations. We are now a comprehensive stroke center. There is no higher level of care for stroke than you can get now at HCMC. If you have the, a little quick public service announcement, think fast, F-A-S-T. If you have these symptoms, you call 911. Fast is your face is drooping. That's the F. A is arm weakness. If your arm is weak, S is speech. If you're not talking correctly, then it's T, time to call 911. And if you're lucky, they'll bring you down to HCMC where you get the best stroke care that is possible in this state. We'll be back after the break with more Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. It's 70 degrees going for 82 degrees.
And back uh, to the Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters Show. It's an open line show today, and uh, as Dr. Hilden can see, we've got a lot of callers and texters. We'll pick up as many as we can. Marion in Minnetonka has uh, been waiting on the phone. Thanks, Marion. Thank you. Love your show. Thank you. Uh, My concern is I'm just recovering from a total knee replacement, and everything's going wonderful except, as you know, uh, the pain is still there and I'm trying to get off of these painkillers so they have told me to take uh, extra strength Tylenol every six hours as needed and my concern is the last couple days I have had some discomfort in my lower back, and I'm thinking the bottles don't take more than six in 24 hours, and could that lower back discomfort mean that it's affecting my kidneys? Uh, well, good questions, Marion. First of all, um, I think it's eight in a 24-hour period, of, of, but maybe the bottle says six. Um, you don't want to take more than three or four grams a day, and each extra strength has 500 in it. So six or eight in a day is, is plenty of the Tylenol. What I, I don't think it's your kidneys. I doubt it, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, I would have to do a more thorough exam and all that. So if you're having problems urinating, pain on urination, fevers, that's your kidneys, but I doubt it. I doubt this is your kidney. I bet your back just hurts because your knee is now bionic. You have a metal knee now, and um, you're, you're walking differently, and you're in pain, and your back is probably spasming. I would continue with your Tylenol and then maybe add something else. If you don't have, for instance, any reason you can't take a non-steroidal like ibuprofen, which goes under Advil or Motrin, I would give that a whirl. Um, alternate them. Take ibuprofen, Tylenol, ibuprofen, Tylenol, because then there, you can you can take them every like four hours. Take two ibuprofen. Four hours later, take two Tylenol. Four hours later, two take two ibuprofen. That's assuming you don't have heart failure or horrible kidney disease. But um, I think that's a good option. And then keep active. Walk, 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 walk. I know it's hard when you have an artificial knee, but um, keep active. Your pain will subside um, for the vast majority of people, but sometimes it's frustratingly slow. I wouldn't recommend stronger pain medicines. Um, they're just the downsides of taking even stronger pain medicines are pretty significant. As you know, I hope you do better. We're always so busy on these open line show, and I, I'm afraid we're not getting to all the callers. How about a real quick answer for this text? Okay, the last one. I think we're going to get to. Good morning. Is there anything I should do about swollen ankles? Should I be concerned? I have no other signs or symptoms, as far as I know. Thank you. Swollen ankles, in and of itself, is almost never dangerous. However, it's often the sign that something else is going on, like sleep apnea, or heart failure, or kidney disease, or bad veins. So if it's um, if you're not sure, the, the idea is to find out what it's from. Go to your doctor and get some very basic tests. Figure out what it's from. In and of itself, the swollen ankles won't hurt you, but you need to find out why. Next week's show? Going to have a colleague of mine, Dr. Daniel DiBardino. He is a heart surgeon. So get your questions ready about like bypass surgery, valve surgery. This is the guy that actually does it. You have a question about bypass, about heart attacks, you give Dr. DiBardino a call next week. And if you want to get in touch with us for a doctor... 612-873-6963, 612-873-MYMD, and don't forget to check out MyHealthyMatters.org. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Danny. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.